So first today we would like to share some words about the concept of psycho-emotional balance in the context of the yoga tradition and more specifically the devotional Vedanta, also called Gaudiya Vedanta, one also of the main streams of the classical Eastern thought. So the idea of psychology or psycho-emotional balance, if you will, is quite present in the very concept of yoga. The idea of yoga speaks to us about linking or integrate, perfectly integrating all of the different layers of our self or personality, our psychic body, and from that psychic balance get to obtain a perfect uh, whole integral balance within our physical body, our, again, psychic body, and ultimately our spiritual identity. So... We find in yoga, specifically the yoga tradition that is known from people like Patanjali and scriptures like the Yoga Sutras and the Bhagavad Gita as well, this idea of the mind as a very malleable entity that tends to adopt different presentations according to the influence of particular environments. That's the very nature of the mind. The mind is not a separate entity that is there, but it's a particular psychic component that tends to be transformed according to the particular impact of certain influences of the environment. And according to that, this mind will adopt certain form and certain particular emotions will manifest there. So different states of mind are described from, let's say, the lower side of disturbed mind or uh, distracted mind or concentrated mind or above all controlled mind Bhagavad Gita also speaks about the mind as the best friend if you control it but as the worst enemy if you are not able to deal with that properly so again the point is the mind is not either enemy or friend bad or good it's according to how you deal with that the same way as your stomach when you eat something if you eat nice food your stomach will react Friendly, in a friendly way, user-friendly way. <laughs> so the mind is something like the stomach stomach of our psychic body. So it depends what you are giving the mind as food. It will react in a particular way. It will a particular, take a particular form, and that will naturally affect your emotions. So, again, there's a correlation between the form the mind will assume and how one feels. It's a very important point. Sometimes we are feeling one way or another, but we are not really connecting this with... This is connected to the mind, and the mind is connected to the, the food we are giving to it, to the impressions we are creating, to the different inputs we are uh, receiving through all of our senses. Our, our physical body is made of mainly five senses, and that's pretty much interrelated with our psychic body, composed of mind, and also as well of intellect, buddhi, and ego, ahankar. So mind is called manas in Sanskrit. And this mind is swayed by the power also of three main factors according to the yoga tradition, which is karma, if you will, like the reactions to our previous actions, that these also extend up to the point of previous lifetimes, as in, West, in Eastern tradition this is this conception of rebirth, 
So we got a particular mindset hmm, framework in this specific lifetime according to the previous hmm, actions of life, life's goal, life, previous lifetimes. So according to karma, according to the environment that we spoke, the influence of the environment and the actions we are taking in the present moment, all this will make the mind take a different particular hmm, form. So by controlling, if you will, by knowing how to deal with the form hmm, or the mode the mind takes, hmm, one can substantially um, like influence how you feel. So yoga is a very refined technology, hmm, subtle psychic technology, pointing into that, into this direction, on certain level at least. You want to experience certain particular emotions, certain balance hmm, in your own uh, well-being in that direction. Okay, you have to know which form to. You have to know how to make the, the mind take a particular form in order for it to allow the expression of a particular emotion. And of course, eventually, ultimately, yoga does not end only in uh, psychic balance or, how, or knowing how to deal with our present material emotions, if you will, but gradually entering into transcendence. And there is a whole different scope of experiences there, even of other types of emotions, spiritual emotions, transrational supranatural emotions but well we have to know we have to start somewhere so yoga starts from our very present situation with our f physical and psychic elements knowing how to deal with them make them take a particular form create some balance and from that gradually achieving full satisfaction for what we are for who we are as consciousness in transcending the mind eventually and realizing our true self which exists above the mind. The yoga tradition speaks of these five gross elements, earth, water, fire, ether, and air, and three subtle elements of the psychic body, and psychic dimension, mind, intellect, and ahankar, ego. So, above all this is the Atman, in Sanskrit, a word for yourself, for the soul. So, in order to fully stand on that ground of being, spiritual, full spiritual ground of being, gradually we have to know how to go through all these different layers of existence. So yoga is a very refined science, scientific method in the sense that it can be really, it can be proved empirically, you can put a, a, a yogi, a mystic, and you can uh, really have an experience that that person is living an extraordinary, extraordinary life. You may speak to those persons and they will speak about transrational exercises and uh, the concept of revelation in the sense of where are they receiving the information from that they are putting in practice into their sadhana or practice. But the point is that the fruits, the symptoms of their practice are something that you cannot deny on an empirical level. You can't uh, like test that in the laboratory and really pay close attention to the daily lifestyle and become stunned. I mean, they are really they, they are really controlling hmm, their human passions, if you will. That for us it's so difficult to to control, to deal with. So it's a very, in one sense, empirical science in the sense that it can be really proved in a very concrete way. So 
<clears throat> this idea of returning to the mind and returning to to this concept of psychology that for me psychology is basically that no? an, an engagement uh, in in promoting well-being, psychic, emotional well-being, with hopefully higher purpose than even that, at least for us in a monotheistic tradition. So there is a concept, very important concept called sattva. Sattva means goodness, if you will, to translate that in that term. But also sattva, sat means to be, existence. Sat means real, existent. So sattva. The, the, the word, the term twa implies ness, as in English you will say fullness, emptiness. So sattva will mean beingness, hmm? the very form of being, the very state where you experience or you start to experience your own nature and existence as who you really are, hmm? deprived of all these different layers that do not allow you to fully express yourself. So sattva means you start to live a balanced life, you find an equilibrium in terms of psycho-emotional engagements, and from that ground, you have a glimpse of who you really are as a conscious entity. So sattva is still a material experience, a psychic dimension, not fully a transcendental one, but from, but from such balanced, jogic perspective, you start again to have a glimpse of your own potential, of who you are and who you really who can you be in the future basically. So apart from the yoga system that tends into this direction, there is another particular interesting approach that you, we will find the, in the yoga Vedanta tradition that is the social, we will speak on social terms now for a while called Barnashram Barna Ashram system means sometimes that's called the caste system, caste system, where social, uh, <clears throat> the social body is divided, divided in, <clears throat> in different uh, expressions according to each one's nature. <clears throat> Sorry. So basically this implies if your nature, if you have a, an intellectual affinity, ideally you should be engaged into that direction. If you have an artistic affinity, administrative affinity, whatever inclination is there with you, it's an acquired nature. It's not something that is part of your eternal personality, if you will, but it's part of who you are now according to previous impressions. Samskars in Sanskrit. Samskar means impression something that enters through your senses, as we say, goes to your mind, mind, according to the present form it has, gives that a particular uh, designation, I like, I don't like, it's good, it's bad. So, a number of impressions create eventually create habits, and a number of habits eventually create a sense of being, a personality, sometimes what we think we are. So, but the point is that personality is malleable, again, is subject to change, because it's not uh, sustained in the, in the pure ground of conscious being. It's just based on mental acquisition, mental impressions. So yoga, hmm, that includes this Barnasram conception of social engagement, 
has to do mainly with this idea of understand the background of our present situation and from there try to create new impressions that will create new habits, that will create a new sense of being, eventually replacing, if you will, our so-called identity for a permanent, satisfactory, satisfying, eternal one. Mm-hmm. So this Barnasram or caste system that actually it's a caste system but not in an impo- imposed way of course there will be always some distorted expression of that but the original ideal hmm, application of the system has to do with each member of society finding, find, finding their particular place hmm, in the world and, and from there trying to engage at, at, acquire a certain level of well-being of balance Again, and from that balance, acquire this sattva, this beingness, and from such perspective, being able to have a glimpse of who they can be, what's their potential as a soul, as transcending the mind, and from there, <coughs> taking the necessary steps in order to, well, transcend, eventually transcend the mind, and fully situate in the conscious reality. So there we find a very interesting connection between psychology and theology, if you will. Now, theology implies, for me at least, reasoning about revelation. Hmm? To, to use our thinking capacities, as, as nowadays this very important concept of analytic theology is there, hmm? that, that making the, the, the important fact that theology is a, has to be also a rational exercise, implies analysis, implies Plus thinking, but in the context of revelation, in the context of a trans-rational exercise hmm, that goes from up to down, but from there we can use the best of our capacities in order to make full sense of that. So that's the nature of revelation. Revelation implies something that I could never conceive by, by, by myself, but when, that's, when that appears into my life, it makes full sense. And it satisfies the inner, innermost deep uh, hunkerings uh, and imaginations, um, deeper, deepest imaginations of my soul. So that's a very important point. Mm-hmm. That's that's the experience of revelation. Mm-hmm. You never, you could never have imagined that, but when that comes to your life, oh, it makes full circle in every se- in every possible sense of the term. So theology has to do with that, and psychology has to do again of being properly equipped in this world, especially psychically and emotionally. But again, for me, at least, psychology is not an end by itself. It's a means to a higher dimension that theology is there. But in order to approach theology in a, in a human and realistic way, we have to be psychologically balanced. So psychological science is there as well for giving this bridge into one and the other, how to acquire material balance for jumping, making this leap into transcendence. Mm-hmm. So, for me, there is, this is the connection, or one of the many connections we can find in between uh, psychology and theology. Mm-hmm. To, psychology helps us to reach this platform we call sattva, or material balance, horizontal development, if you will, mm-hmm in order to have a vertical development into transcendence. So when you have a glimpse of yourself by the grace hmm, of the psychological science, you, just, 
you have a glimpse of the divine as well, of fears of, of God. Because if you have a glimpse of who you really are as a soul, you're having a glimpse of your potential, and your potential lies ultimately in connection to the divine. So the divine immediately appears in the form of your potential, of our potential, so in the form of ourselves, in one sense. So theology has to do with that, with God, with the science of God, with understanding the principle of revelation, and knowing how to, to walk from one side to the other. This topic, of, or the connection between psychology and theology, has been also very nicely approached in many directions. For example, one interesting example is the one of Malcolm Jeeves and David Myers, who wrote this book, Psychology Through the Eyes of Faith. That, again, it's a very interesting idea of knowing how to learn to make a synthesis, a higher synthesis between all these principles and not to perceive them as contradictory mm, proposals. So we can, in, in the different types of conception, he presents that in his treatise. No? He speaks about the self, about concepts like freedom or rationality or belief and behavior. Uh, and, and what's this according to psychological wisdom? What's this according to theological wisdom? And we may find differences as well, of course. I mean, freedom according to psychology will be, well, okay, we are both um, creators and creators. Creators and creators of our social world. Uh, persons, persons, situation that matter, that matter both of us, but according to theology we may have another perception, the ultimate control life beyond us, but we are responsible, we have some free will and responsibility and commitment, some uh, rights hmm, to perform, etc. So I think it's a very interesting challenge hmm, to, to create bigger and bigger space for debate and interaction between psychology, psychological science and analytic theology and all its varieties in order to learn how to harmonize these apparent so-called differences of opinion and of course reach this gap and, and, and attain a higher synthesis where both psychology and theology hmm, can uh, live together in peace, if you will. So, because one is speaking about being human, perfectly human, ideally human, at least on a certain level, hmm? and the other one, theology, is speaking about the divine side of ourselves. So how to reconcile the two, hmm? how to be properly human in order to be properly divine, hmm? how to conceive spirituality in a way that that's not an uh, evasive move, hmm? uh, no, it's trying to go up, pass over hmm, our humanity and just trying to go straight to the divine without being fully human. So that's not spirituality. Spirituality or theology, if you will, is a, is a project that invites us also to properly embrace psychology, to be fully human beings, in order to, from that platform, have the proper glimpse of ourselves and the perspective of the prospect of divinity that awaits within us. So I will close these uh, words with a very interesting quote I always remember by Thomas Merton. So he mentioned that if, if you want to attain salvation, reality, the ultimate beautiful reality, okay, he said, salvation will start 
from the most ordinary moments of your daily life. So that's a fact. If you do not know how to deal with, with your most ordinary, human, imperfect, limited, fragile expressions of your present self, if you do not know how to go through that in the context of the long-term goal of divinity, of theology, if you, do not, if you are not brave enough to go through psychology as a, as, as a nice, important step in the service of theology, if you will, in connection to, to this ultimate long-term goal, at least for the ones who are situated in a spiritual path as well, well, that won't be a, rea- a very realistic project- projection. So, some ideas regarding this point, how to uh, enthuse each other, give encouragement, both from the psychological side, both from the theological side, mm, to get much more encouragement and inspiration, to make more dialogue, more talks, and know how we can benefit from each other, how do we need each other in order to complement and in order to well, become fully human, become fully divine as well.